Game Friday morning, presented by 105.3 The Fan. And just like that, we are off and running. Hi, everybody. Welcome to your football weekend. I'm NBC5's Pat Doney, and this is NBC5 and 105.3 The Fan's Big Game Friday morning show. What a great weekend of football ahead. The Dallas Cowboys with a huge rivalry game with the New York Giants. Uh, the Red River Showdown is back and ready to rock in the Cotton Bowl. High school football doing its thing. Uh, it's going to be a great weekend of football. Excited to spend an hour here getting you ready for the football weekend. And as always, I am joined by my main man, Kevin Gray from 105.3 The Fan. You ready for this football weekend, KG? As always, ready for some more football in the great state of Texas, highlighted by rivalry week with the Cowboys getting a visit from the New York football Giants. should be a good weekend of football. And Chris Blake from NBC5 here as well. Chris, are you ready for this uh, football weekend to get cranking going? I am, and on top of the Cowboys-Giants, we've got Texas OU tomorrow as well. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that game tomorrow in the Cotton Bowl. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, no hesitation here, though, because, well, the Dallas Cowboys have a huge matchup on Sunday in AT&T Stadium. They're going to be taking on the New York Giants as a rivalry is renewed and I got to tell you, this is an opportunity. This is a pleasure right now that we're going to kick this show off with one of the legends of New York sports television is ready to do his thing and talk a little New York Giants football. Uh, Bruce Beck from NBC New York is here, my good friend. Bruce, how are you, man? It's great to see you this morning. Pat, great to talk to you, my friend. Big weekend, huh? Finally. Yeah, finally here. Cowboys, Giants, the return of Jason Garrett to AT&T Stadium. So, of course, we have to start there, right? I mean, Jason Garrett, huge story, longtime Cowboys coach. What has been the feeling in New York about Jason Garrett's time now as the Giants offensive coordinator there? I think there's been a lot of controversy because Daniel Jones finally is getting it, I think, this season. And I think there's been controversy regarding is this offense too conservative are they taking advantage of Daniel Jones' ability to run with the football? It has been a slow, difficult process. The offensive line has taken a long time to come together. Finally, there are some weapons. So I think the jury is still out, but it has not been an easy go for Jason Garrett. Yeah, not at all. You mentioned Daniel Jones. I think it's interesting, too, Bruce, because, you know, Daniel Jones looked pretty good last week. I mean, I, that was one of the first times I remember watching a Giants game in recent memory and saying, Danny Dimes is actually being Danny Dimes right now. What did you think of what you saw from him? Hey, he threw for 402 yards. He was the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. This is a guy who was a turnover machine since he came in the league. He fumbles the football regularly. Only Jameis Winston you can compare to in terms of the multitude of turnovers that – he has had in these first three or four years. So I think to me that finally he's only thrown one pick this year, and that was a Hail Mary at the end of the first half against New Orleans. I think we're finally seeing some growth. I think we're seeing the evolution of a player. Does it last? We'll find out this weekend against a team that I think is highly regarded in the Cowboys. Bruce, this game is going to be an emotional one for Cowboys fans, and specifically for Dak Prescott, the last time he shared the field with the New York Giants, he was being carted off the field due to a devastating ankle injury. You've been around this rivalry a long time. Is there any more emotion going into this game, especially knowing that the Giants may be potentially turning a corner going into this week's game? I, I think the real question is, are the Giants at least competitive enough now? Are they for real in the sense that 
They could be three and one if you figure in the two games that they lost on the last seconds of the game. So this team is one and three. They could be 0 and four too. But I think you're right. I think this game will tell us if these Giants are in any way going to contend for a playoff spot this year. If not, we're looking at five and twelve, six and eleven. The Cowboys are going to run away with this division. That's what all of us in New York think. I think emotionally, the team is ready to go. Are they good enough? I just don't know. Now you're speaking the language of Cowboys fans around here, Bruce. You know, they want to hear that, right? Big favorites in the NFC East. You know, you mentioned the record to this point, and a big reason why I think has been because Saquon Barkley hasn't been able to be the player that Giants fans have been accustomed to watching play coming off that injury. That is until last week because he was another player who seemed to kind of have some of that previous juice back in his ability to run the football. What did you see from Saquon, and and do you feel like you're going to see the Saquon of old when they're here at AT&T Stadium against the Cowboys on Sunday? So this leads us right back to Jason Garrett again. If you're the New York football giants, put the ball in his hands like Christian McCaffrey. I don't care about how many yards he gets rushing. I care about how many touches. Last week he had 19 touches for over 100 yards. That is the safe one that we expect. Throw him the football. Let him catch it 10 or 12 times. If he rushes for 50 yards, who cares? But if he catches it on a wheel route, out of the backfield and he scores a touchdown like he did last week, then it makes sense. I think Saquon's starting to look healthy, Pat. Yes, indeed. I've seen him go through this rehab process and finally I'm seeing a little bit of the juke, the cuts. Now put the football in his hands and let's see what he can do. Give him a chance because Danny Dimes leads the team in rushing yards with 188. I think Saquon should lead the team in rushing yards, but more than anything, He's got to touch the football and have a chance to do something special. Yeah, that's not exactly a recipe for success, having Daniel Jones lead the team in rushing yards. I'll get you out of here on this, Bruce. Just curious your perspective and New York's perspective on this rivalry with the Dallas Cowboys. When they play the Eagles, you know, they call it Dallas Week in Philly, right? It's this huge thing, and even the media, when we're there covering the team and the Cowboys are in Philadelphia, we're getting booed as we walk in the stadium. Your perspective on the rivalry when it comes to Giants-Cowboys, it's always a big game, but to me it feels a little different than some of the other ones there. What do, you, what do you think about this matchup? No, it is a big rivalry. There's no question. This is the 118th meeting. It goes back to 1960. The Cowboys have dominated lately, winning seven of the last eight. But I have been there many times when the Giants play the Cowboys. It is a big game. It's always special. You know Buck and Aikman are going to be on this game. You know Buck uh, is going to be doing his solid job, and Aikman, we always think, is going to criticize Daniel Jones. But last night on his telecast, he said some really nice things about Daniel Jones, and I think Aikman is really good at this, by the way, and I think he will be fair and honest. This is a big football game. The Cowboys, I think, can, can really seize command of this division. I don't think anybody's going to touch them unless, out of nowhere, the Giants win this ball game start to gain some momentum and show us that this offense with, with Galladay and, and Shepard and the multitude of weapons, Evan Ingram, if he can hang on to the football, Kyle Rudolph, they got John Ross now, you've got Saquon. The Giants offense, if that line does okay, has a chance to do some special things this year. 
The defense we thought would be very good, and that's been disappointing. So rivalry week is here. It's going to be a fun game, and it's going to tell us a lot about the Giants, and it's going to tell us, in my opinion, if the Cowboys are going to control this division with Dak and Zeke and the rest of them just running away with it. He is a legend in New York City television. Bruce Beck, one of my good friends. Man, I loved covering the Olympics in Sochi with you, buddy. It's great to see you back here. And uh, I'm excited to see the Cowboys take on the Giants, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks so much, Pat. The, the people at the Olympics only have three things to say about you. Great work ethic, great guy, great talent. That's a lot to be proud of, my friend. Well, and they also are good at collecting checks, apparently. Thank you, Bruce. Very nice of you to say. Great to see you this morning. Hope you're well. See you guys soon. All right. The Thanks. Gary Ghost, the great Bruce Beck. What an, you know, Just an amazing guy. He's been doing it for so long. Nobody plugged in as much as he is with the New York Giants. I can't tell you how many times I'm, I'm following him on Instagram or Twitter, and it's like, hey, I've got Derek Jeter on this week. <laughs> you know, all right, here, here's Eli Manning hanging out here in the studio. And I'm like, how does this guy pull some of the people that he gets? He's, he's one of the best, and I just always enjoy talking with him. Uh, but I do want to point to what he mentioned a little bit in this matchup with Saquon Barkley. I think that's going to be an interesting matchup, KG, because the Cowboys haven't been great when we're talking about watching them against opposing running backs, I would say, on the defensive side of the ball. That's been one of the main, if you want to call it, they've been good on defense, but they got lucky they didn't have to play Christian McCaffrey this past week. What are you expecting to see from Saquon as he continues to come back from this injury and this, this knee deal that he had? Because it was bad, but he looked good last week. Yeah, I think one of my favorite matchups of this week's game between the Cowboys and the Giants is this Cowboys linebacking core versus Saquon Barkley, specifically Micah Parsons and Saquon Barkley. A couple of former Penn State guys going to be going at it on Sunday. Can the Dallas Cowboys deal with Saquon Barkley in the open field, limiting his touches and making sure that he's not making plays in the open field? Because we know, we saw last week against the New Orleans Saints, when he gets the ball in the open field, uh, he can cause a lot of problems downfield. So how does, does the speed of the Dallas Cowboys defense, specifically with Micah Parsons, match up with Saquon Barkley? It's going to be a fun matchup to watch, I think. Interesting you mentioned Saquon Barkley and Micah Parsons because we had a chance to speak to Micah this week about their friendship, their relationship. Here's what he had to say about getting a chance to face one of his very good friends and what that is like, is like in the NFL right now. Playing friends is always tough, but at the end of the day, he got a job and I got a job, and we both got to do our jobs or, you know, it's a, it's a risky place to play in. So, I mean, he knows it is. At the end day, we both competitors, ultimate competitors. So I know he's going to give me his best shot. And I know when we meet up in the offseason, I don't want him to have that upper leverage and stuff. So I'm going to make sure I do my best against him. Yeah, and I mentioned in that conversation with Bruce there, the other thing the Cowboys defense needs to be careful of here is the fact that Daniel Jones actually looked good last week. I mean, and I can't remember a single time in Daniel Jones's career to this point. And I think he's a talented guy, and it's still we give up on quarterbacks too early, so it doesn't mean he's not going to be good at some point. But I can't remember a single time watching him play where I was like, that guy's dangerous on the field. In the second half in an overtime against the Saints last week, he was making some throws. You know, I mean, it was like, oh, my, like, where is this coming from? And it's bad timing for the Cowboys' defense. Um, one thing you mentioned in that conversation there with Bruce as well was that Sunday is the, what's well, one day short of the one-year mm -hmm. anniversary of Dak Prescott's injury. And when he injured his ankle badly in AT&T Stadium, happened to be against the New York Giants as well. They're playing the Giants again. Yeah, I think this is going to be an emotional thing for him. He tried to downplay it this week, 
But, I mean, how could it not be, right? I mean, how, yeah. how could you come off something like that and not have at least some memory of what it was like almost exactly a year ago? I think this is a perfect opportunity potentially for closure for Dak Prescott. One of the mantras of this season for him is that he's really not wanted to talk about the ankle injury all that much. And every time it's been brought up, he's been able to answer the questions and deal with the, the conversation with it. But I think this is the opportunity that he's looking for on his home field against the opponent where he injured that ankle to really put things to bed for him, knowing that going forward he can continue to be the kind of quarterback who's in the MVP discussion right now. It's going to be an emotional day on Sunday afternoon for the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Here's Dak Prescott talking about that injury and about what it's like now, one year later, after suffering that brutal injury that cost him most of 2020. At this point, I, mean, I feel like I've healed well. Uh, scars are scars are pretty. I mean, I've got a bunch of them. They mean something. They remind me. But as I've said, it's it's really what what I'm thankful for is the person that I become after after every scar I have. As I've watched that play a couple of times, and yeah, when it comes up, it's just. Uh, I don't watch the. I can say I watched the beginning of it, but not the end of the run. So I mean, and I don't think much about it. And then, um, yeah, it's, as I said, it's kind of past it, and it's whatever. Not something I care to see, and know that I've done a lot to get past it. Yeah, I can't blame him for not wanting to watch that run one more time. I mean, Chris, you see something like that, and when a guy goes through something like that, you just think. They probably want to do everything they possibly can to just forget it, but he's done a great job moving on from it. I thought he looked pretty good running the ball last week. I mean, he, clearly Dak is fully back from the injury, but it's still got to be a tough thing for him to overcome mentally. Yeah, I think Dak has proven that mental strength is one of the things that makes him such a good player because, yes, he's talented physically. He's got arm strength, but that leadership, the mental side of it is part of the reason the locker room gets behind him the way they do. Uh, he showed something he said he was going to take a moment to himself before the Cowboys first home game of the regular season he did that maybe this is another hurdle for him to clear and then after that I think he's probably going to be like okay we're done with it it's been a year let's move on yeah interesting to see how he reacts to that also interested to see how the Cowboys react to not having one of their team leaders on the defensive side of the ball anymore Jalen Smith and yes I know Jalen has not played great and there's been the swiping moments that plenty of people have had good laughs about and I but at the same time, I mean, you do have to acknowledge the fact that this guy did overcome an absolutely devastating injury in the way that he bounced back. I mean, no one can take that away from him that there was a chance at the time that, you know, he had serious long-term implications with the knee injury he suffered at Notre Dame. The Cowboys took a risk on him. He was great in the first year that he played with the Cowboys. and it's, But unfortunately, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse as he goes. And if you don't know the backstory, the Cowboys released him this week in the middle of the season, even though they owed him $7.2 million guaranteed for this year. And the backstory beyond that goes like this, that he was owed. A lot of people are like, well, why didn't he cut him in the offseason? Well, he, that money was guaranteed this season because he had wrist surgery early in last offseason. So that meant that they were going to pay him regardless. So my, my guess is they probably said, let's see what Jalen can do. Let's see if maybe he goes out and in this new Dan Quinn scheme, he plays like he did in that first season that he played with Leighton Van Der Esch, and maybe he reemerges a little bit. But it hasn't happened, and he had a $9.2 million guarantee for next season if he's injured at any point this year. And when he was getting more than 50% of the snaps on the field, he was the backup linebacker, but he still was playing half the snaps. That's a risk that I just don't know if you can take, KG. I just don't know if you can look at it and say – we're willing to risk $9 million in a hit next year. And so they released him. Now he signs with the Green Bay Packers. He gets double pay. They're going to pay him very little in Green Bay, but he still collects the full money from here. And we'll see what happens from there. But I think it was a move they had to make. 
I don't necessarily blame Jalen for not being willing to waive the injury clause. They sure. did ask him to do it. He said he wasn't willing to do that. But at the same time, you know, I think that it's a it's just one of those things where it's just a hard decision that needed to be made on both sides there. Yeah, I think several factors here, the declining snaps, the injury risk, and the Cowboys looking at their situation with a lot of young guys at that position. I think we knew coming into the season at some point this could be the move in releasing Jalen Smith. Maybe the timing was a little bit curious four games into the season, but I think we a lot of us saw this coming eventually given the amount of young guys and the amount of resources they've invested at that position. The question is now going forward, too, what does this mean for a guy in Leighton Vanderesh whose fifth-year option was declined earlier this year, too, by the Cowboys, so there could be a real turning of the page at the linebacker position going forward. Two here. things that I'd say about that. Number one is I wonder about the timing. I wonder with Keanu Neal coming off COVID, mm-hmm. the COVID list this week, if that had something to do with it. You know, maybe they were making sure Keanu could handle the role of moving from safety to linebacker early in the season, and they would have moved on from Jalen at that point. But then Keanu goes on the COVID list for two weeks. And so now he's back. And so I wonder if that had something to do with the timing right now. And regarding Leighton in the future, you know, I think he could be a potential um, franchise tag candidate after this season because the linebacker position, that number is not going to be as big as, say, franchising a quarterback or a wide receiver. And so that could bring him back on a number that's more than he would have made. But the other option is they have a young linebacker in Jabril Cox who's not playing a whole lot right now. But he is another version of what Keanu Neal is. And what that is is a smaller, faster linebacker who does a great job in coverage. Did that really well at LSU. I think he's got a bright future. So I'm interested to see that as well. You mentioned Leighton Van Resch, that I wanted to check this out and, and point this out to everybody. Um, this is a longer clip here this week because he was asked about Leighton being released. And you could tell he got a little passionate about what it was like seeing fans on social media almost celebrate Leighton getting released right or I mean excuse me Jalen getting released right now here's Leighton Van Rush this week on Jalen Smith being cut by the Dallas Cowboys what bugs me most about it is when people that are on the outside fans whatever it may be they want to say oh like someone deserves this or someone deserves that everything they don't realize that this is literally like our livelihoods we literally could get up and traded the next morning like the next day we could be in 50 different freaking states so people need to realize that. People need to realize that what they're saying is literally just, like, nonsense. And I think that's a big problem in the world today. And they need to cut that out. Because, I mean, we're literally talking about, like, we don't go talking about someone else's job, so why are they talking about our jobs? It's super frustrating. It's annoying. Uh, I think it's classless. I got a lot of strong words for it. Because I know a lot of guys around the league deal with it. We got families. We might be in one area. You got dudes that have been playing for a team for eight years. They get traded. They got family. They got kids that have been there for that long. Think about that before you say something like, oh, this guy deserves this, but this guy deserves that. I understand where he's coming from from the standpoint of that I think fans a lot of times forget that these are humans playing this game. These are not robots. You're not playing Madden when you watch the Dallas Cowboys play the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon, and it's very easy to forget that aspect of it. I also do think that it's fair to point out and also mention to Leighton here that this is kind of part of the territory. This is kind of part of the job. If you're going to be a professional athlete, you, number one, know that fans are likely going to say what they want to say because they're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go to games. Um, and whether that's over the top or wrong or right, you know, what I, I, that's, that's to be determined, I guess, by the different person and, and the perspective there. But the other thing is, is the moving around is just going to be part of it, too. You're likely not going to be in one location for your entire NFL career. That almost never happens in the league. And so uh, at the same time, 
I do think it's valid him pointing out and having Jalen's back, and I thought that was interesting nonetheless to share with the, the audience here. What do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of that is sticking up for a former teammate, someone who at times was made the poster child for why this defense wasn't playing as well as they may have, could have been. But at the same time, I understand his frustration. But for fans, as you mentioned, they are going to have their opinions, and it's the athlete's job to either embrace that or choose to ignore it, whatever they decide to do to make sure that they're performing at their best and make sure that they're eliminating the kinds of distractions that won't have them playing well or playing well, depending on their circumstance. Chris, did you think it was something that needed to happen at this point? I mean, you see the way Jalen had been playing, and I mean, it's, I, I don't know, man. I looked at it, and I said it's hard to say goodbye to a leader in the middle of the season, but $9 million on the table for next year if he, if he just has something flare up with his knee or wrist again. Yeah, I mean, he obviously a locker room leader. A lot of guys in the locker room for the Cowboys, you see Leighton Vandresh obviously coming out and discussing Jalen's departure, but I don't think the risk was worth the money for the Cowboys, especially with these young guys emerging and giving them other viable options. And it just kind of shows you the business side of things and how quickly things move. What, two or three years ago, we yeah. saw Leighton Vandresh and Jalen Smith, and we were like, the Cowboys are set at linebacker for like five or six years. Now it looks like you know they might be moving on from both within the next twelve months. That wasn't just us saying that. It's everybody. Okay. Everybody was saying. Sports Illustrated had a story at the time that said that the Cowboys linebacking core. I think this was two seasons ago, going into the season. The Cowboys linebacking core was, I think, the number two position group in the NFL. I mean that that's how highly everybody and they were looking at. Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh, and here we are now, as you mentioned a second ago. You know, Leighton's fifth-year option not picked up. Jalen is now a Green Bay Packer. It's the Micah Parsons show. Very interesting to see there. Uh, also interesting. Speaking of that, like aging quickly and moving on with running backs, man, it just happens so fast. And I think we've seen that with Ezekiel Elliott a little bit. The fact that this guy was the guy in the NFL. Um, that said, he had a little bit of a throwback performance, if you will, this past Sunday. If you don't know the numbers, they are unbelievable. Um, the Cowboys rushed for 245 yards as a team in that game. It was Zeke's. Uh, Zeke went over 100 yards, his first 100-yard game of the season. The Panthers in that game, going into that game, had only given up 135 rushing yards total through three games. So the Cowboys just blew them off the line. From the nerdy X's and O's standpoint, I mean, they were running their duo and inside zone plays. And, I mean, like these double teams that were just getting way in everybody's face. It was really cool to watch them dominate the way that they did. And I think that if they have the ability to run the football like that against the Carolina team that was number one in the NFL and run defense, KG, that has to be an encouraging sign because if you can do it against Carolina, it kind of feels like you can do it against anybody. Agreed. And what's interesting after the Panthers game, so the Cowboys under Dak Prescott now move to 27-0 and when they have more rushing attempts than they do passing attempts. So you saw the balance in Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. I think what – one thing that Cowboys fans have been excited about is not just the resurgence of Ezekiel Elliott, but the balance that he is striking with Tony Pollard, that thunder-lightning combination. And I think for Ezekiel Elliott, it's good for the long-term prognosis of his career to share some of those carries, given how good these two have played together. But you give credit to the offensive line, Terrence Steele, Zach Martin, this entire offensive line is playing really well, and they dominated at the line of scrimmage last week against the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, playing very well for sure. And by the way, speaking of the critics and all of that, that you know, that Ezekiel Elliott has been hearing about, he was asked this week if it kind of felt good to, sh to shut up the haters, you know, to the doubters that are out there. And he got a little – I wouldn't say he was fiery. He was just more – 
There was a little bit of passion in his voice in his answer right here. Here's what Zeke had to say this week. I think you'll think this is interesting. I think it was a statement game for his team. I think the O-line came out and dominated their front. Uh, and, I mean, they're the reason we, we were so successful on the ground. Um, I don't like making it about, oh, I did this to make a statement because you guys thought I was like, it's not. that's not why I come out here and play. I don't come out here to play for to prove to people that I'm a good player. I come out here and play to help my team win. I come out here and play to, to support my brother. So, I mean, anything I do on the field is not to prove someone wrong. It's to prove to my team that I love them and I'll do anything to, to go out there and help them win a football game. So a little passion, a little energy there from Ezekiel Elliott about his role with this team and his willingness to just kind of do whatever it takes. I mean, I, hey, look, you know what? It's got to be tough. You know, what is he, 26 years old, you know, and he feels like he's on the downside of his career. I mean, imagine what that has to feel like to be a 26-year-old and think that the career is, like, never going to be as good as it already has been at that point. Uh, it just happens so fast and goes so fast for running backs. Overall, though, I think, you know, just going to this game against the Giants, Cowboys a seven-point favorite. If they're able to run the football even close to what they've been able to do the last three weeks against uh, let's see, they ran the ball against the Chargers, then really well against the Eagles, then they ran it really well this past week as well against Carolina. So, yeah, three weeks in a row. If they're able to do it again against the Giants in a team that, you know, can be had, you can run the ball well against them. I like the chances. I think not only to win, but I think they've got a good chance to cover in this game too. No, I agree. I think the Cowboys have shown that they can – adjust to their game plans based on what the defense is giving them. I think they'll be able to do the same against this New York Giant football team. For me, does Randy Gregory continue to build on the performance that he had last week against the Carolina Panthers with a couple of sacks and getting after a guy in Daniel Jones who in his last 320 pass attempts only has two interceptions. So getting and forcing pressure on him is going to be the key, I think, for the Cowboys to win this game. But I love what they're doing on the ground and the balance that they're showing. I think they can continue that on Sunday against the Giants. I think you're right. I think it's going to be an interesting game, though, of course, with Dak Prescott returning from that injury. It's going to be mm -hmm. a lot made of that going into the game. It's a national TV game at 3.30 in the afternoon in AT&T Stadium. A couple of other games we're going to be watching kind of closely. Uh, this is a game that we thought was going to be a blowout, you know, when you just see the two teams on the schedule facing each other. But, man, the New Orleans Saints just lost to the New York Giants, and Jameis Winston's not playing great. The defense has been just kind of okay. Um, the Saints are a one-point favorite at the Washington football team. What do you think of that game, KG? Matchup to watch for me, former Ohio State Buckeye teammates, Marshawn Lattimore versus scary Terry McLaurin. That should be a fun matchup to watch to see if Taylor Heineke can get the ball to his number one wide receiver and see if Lattimore can shut him down. Two future opponents there in the Dallas Cowboys. Another future opponent in the New, New England Patriots coming off uh, the loss to Tom Brady. They are taking on the Houston Texans. This is what you call a get-right game. You know, after you lose to Tom Brady in Foxborough, the Patriots at last checked nine-and-a-half-point favorites against the Houston Texans. I think New England's going to be fine. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of Cowboys fans who are now transitioning to, you know, welcome to this side, you know, where the Cowboys, you're realizing that they're good this year. I mean, they are good. I mean, I tried to tell you before the season they were going to be, and everyone's like, oh, positive, Pat, positive. No, no, no. Okay. They had a lot of signs. It was going to be, okay, they were not as bad as what they showed last year. The injuries clearly made a huge impact on how good this team was going to be in Mike McCarthy's first season, and Dan Quinn's done a great job. I say all of that for this reason, because here they are now. They're going to play New England, and I feel like almost everybody – 
has just chalked it up as a win. I mean, do you kind of feel the same way, Chris? I feel like so many people are like, well, yeah, now they're going to go and win in, in New England because that's an easy win now. That's not an easy place to play. No, the Buccaneers just went in and barely got out in a rainstorm. If Nick Folk's kick is a few inches to the right, we're talking about Mac Jones is the next Tom Brady and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, no, the Patriots are still a good team. They're still a good defense and they're finding ways to make it work offensively. So that is not going to be a give-me for Dallas when they take on New England. And you're taking the Texans in that game, correct? Obviously. Davis Mills. Davis Mills. Anytime you can bet on Davis Mills, I think that's a good thing. Uh, Finally, great Sunday night football game on NBC. The Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, The Chiefs, of course, are going to host the Cowboys in a couple of weeks. Patrick Mahomes from White House, Texas. You know, the Chiefs? They've looked a little vulnerable recently. I mean, I, everybody told me before the season that it was a guarantee that the Bucks and Chiefs were going to be in the Super Bowl this year. Not so fast, my friend. I mean, that, that Chiefs defense just looks kind of okay. I mean, I, what, do you, what do you think about what you've seen so far from Kansas City land? The Chiefs literally have the worst scoring defense in all of the National Football League. Defense may be optional on Sunday Night Football rematch of the AFC Championship game. I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. I see it 38-35, Kansas City. Uh, Josh Gordon, hello, Josh Gordon. He makes his debut for the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. Josh Gordon is going to be a great addition if he can stay on the field for this reason. When you watch teams that are playing the Kansas City Chiefs right now, what they are figuring out, what Brandon Staley from the Chargers did a couple of weeks ago when the Chargers beat Kansas City in Arrowhead, they played man-to-man defense, and they doubled Tyreek Hill. And they basically said, and then they had uh, Derwin James could match up mm-hmm. with Travis Kelsey. So not everybody has a Derwin James that can play one on one with a Travis Kelsey. And what they re- realized is we want Kansas City to prove they can beat us by one, running the football with Clyde Edwards Hilaire still not playing to the level of his draft status. And then also with the other receivers outside of Hill and Kelsey. Again, not everybody can man it up against Travis Kelsey and be successful like the Chargers were with Derwin James, but it worked enough to where the Chargers won that game, and Kansas City has just shown a little bit of vulnerability there. If Tyreek Hill can't beat you and Travis Kelsey can't beat you, which is a good problem to have. I understand (laughs) having two things like that is great, but it used to be that it was like those two guys would just run over everybody, and Tyreek Hill still dominated the Eagles last week. I'm just interested to see what Sean McDermott, the Buffalo Bills, great defensive mind, and see how Josh Allen plays in that game because everybody also was talking about Josh Allen just kind of being okay after what they saw in week one. Newsflash, he's still really, really, really good, and I think the Bills are going to have a great season. All right, let's do a little segment we like to do every once in a while here called If the Super Bowl Were Today. What we do is we tell you who we think would play in the Super Bowl if the Super Bowl was being played on today, which is, what is today, October 8th. Yeah, here we go. So (laughs) if the Super Bowl was being played on October the 8th, who is playing in the Super Bowl in your little imaginative world there, KG? Who, who are you picking in the Super Bowl if we weren't having to wait another thir- 15 weeks to see it played? The Arizona Cardinals Whoa. and the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I'm starting to get on the Arizona Cardinal train. Look, Cliff Kingsbury's got this air raid offense, if you will, working. Kyler Murray is a legitimate MVP candidate for some folks, is the MVP through four or five weeks of the season now. And the Buffalo Bills 
after losing against the Pittsburgh Steelers to open up the season, have turned things around. We'll see how for real they are when they visit the Kansas City Chiefs and Arrowhead for that rematch of the AFC title game. But I'm going Cardinals-Bills right now at the Super Bowl or today. Chris, who are you going with? I'm not deviating yet from the prediction a couple of weeks ago. We're sticking with the Rams, taking on the fourth place Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> fourth place Kansas City Chiefs. You know, I, I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm getting ready to say something a little crazy. Oh, no. Here we go. The Chiefs aren't going to lose again. Uh, that's not what no. I'm going to say. I do think they're <laughs> going to lose again at some point. I think they might lose on Sunday night. You know, I'm really concerned about Might lose to the Cowboys their... at some point. Yeah. Well, that's interesting you mentioned the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> because if you look at the DVOA stat standings and ratings from football outsiders. Oh, no. Is he about to do it? The Dallas Cowboys currently sit at number two in total DVOA. They have the third-best offense in the NFL. They have the 10th-best defense in the NFL. Um, I understand Kyler Murray is great. Don't do it, Pat. Oh, no. Don't do I it, understand. Pat. Going on record. Don't do it, I Pat. I understand that Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. They'd have to get through him. Tom Brady is still Tom Brady. But if the Super Bowl were today, if I was picking a team to win a game in the NFC Championship game today, with the problems that Tampa has at corner, with the problems that Green Bay has on defense, I mean, it doesn't matter where you're talking about, all over the place they're struggling, with Kyler being amazing, but I'm still not sure about Cliff and his ability to go win a game as a coach for a team. Kellen Moore's on fire. Dan Quinn has the Cowboys defense playing great. They don't even have Demarcus Lawrence yet. I mean, just imagine what that's going to be like when he comes back into action from the broken foot. If the Super Bowl was today, the Dallas Cowboys would be in the Super Bowl. Wow! I think they are, right now, the way they are playing, the way they curb-stomped the Carolina Panthers, Philadelphia Eagles, teams that they should have done that. Those are games in the past. Tell me I'm wrong. Those are games in the past under Jason Garrett that this team is, well, Bill, we didn't realize the Cowboys, (laughs) who were huge favorites, they were going to be down by like six points, and it was going to be, can Dak, can can he lead them back to some miraculous win in the fourth quarter? Before that, can Tony Romo have Tony Romo magic, you know, and lead them back to a win in the late... No, that didn't happen against teams that they're not as good, that they're much better than. I expect Sunday to be the same against the New York Giants. Fascinated to see how they handle the road game up in New England, but I'm on record. As of today, and this could change because that's what this Super Bowl or this uh, segment is called. If the Super Bowl were today, okay? If the Super Bowl were today, I think the Dallas Cowboys would be the team out of the NFC East or out of the NFC playing in the Super Bowl. On the other side. You know, man, I I just can't quit the Browns, even though Baker has not looked good. I know he's got the shoulder thing. They're still fourth in DVOA right now. They're winning games even when it's not pretty. I just think that team and Miles Garrett is awesome. Maybe it's Buffalo. I'm going to go Cowboys-Bills right now. A little throwback Ooh, matchup. Okay. Okay. Early 90s. Yeah, that's who okay. I would say the Super Bowl would be today. Where am I wrong? Am I crazy, Kevin? That NBC5 coffee must be good for Pat this morning. Wait. Good on a Friday. It's a Friday football morning. I look, the the Cowboys defensively to me, I want to see them continue to improve. They're getting the takeaways. They're second in the NFL behind the aforementioned Buffalo Bills in terms of takeaways. I want to see if this defense can put together consistent performances throughout the rest of the season to give me a better idea that they're not going to be a liability come playoff time 
when it comes to trying to make a deep run to the playoffs. I know how you folks in the digital department work. Okay, I know how this goes, Chris Blake. We clip it. I was gonna, that's going to be clipped, <laughs> and the headline is just going to say, Doney picks Cowboys to go to Super Bowl, and then I'm just going to get all the Twitter hate. In on, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, we can, jinxing it, Doney. Like, you can oh, write the headline if you want to. Yeah, I just did. You know, <laughs> there it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know, man. They just they look unbelievable right I mean, now. The the defense is really the key here, right? Because the reason the Cowboys didn't put away those kind of teams that we think they should beat in years past is because they were consistently in shootouts. There was always who's going to have the ball last that comes can come down and make the final score, whether it be a touchdown or a field goal. You're used to flipping on the TV, you know, at 2.30 when the early games are winding down and seeing the Chiefs up 20 over somebody right. or seeing the Seahawks out with a big lead. Uh, when they were really good. Yeah. And the Cowboys hopefully are creeping into that territory where instead of making it interesting, they just take care of business early and can get guys you know, off the field, out of the way of injury situations, and move on. It should be an awesome football weekend. Let's see if the Dallas Cowboys don't make me look like an idiot. On Sunday, watch this be the game. You know where we're gonna find the, the clip, Pat. We're gonna find and it. We're gonna have to bring it back next week. You know, somehow the Giants, Saquon goes crazy, and Danny Dimes throws three touchdown passes. Hey, what an awesome football weekend ahead! Not just in the NFL, but in college football as well. And we have to talk about the Red River Showdown getting ready to happen in the Cotton Bowl. Man, this is just cool. Every if you've never been. I would highly recommend you give it a chance and go in, whether you like Texas or Oklahoma or not. If you just like sports, this is a venue and an event that is just awesome. Uh, KG, what do you what are you seeing out of Oklahoma and Texas right now? Oklahoma before the season, huge favorite. If you would have picked it back a month ago, now I mean, the, I think the line is down to three right now. Is Oklahoma's only favored by three points in the game? Does that surprise you at all? No, I mean, going into the Red River rivalry, these games always seem to bring out the best in these two clubs. We've seen the multiple overtime games in the past. We've seen tremendous moments in this rivalry. What's interesting is that first place is on the line this week in the Big 12. And I think the biggest storyline for me is, can Spencer Rattler have himself a signature game? Can he go on this stage in the Cotton Bowl and really put together a signature performance to really silence the critics of his that have called for his backup at times and put him in a spot where he's had to answer some of those questions for him as the quarterback of this football team. Can him and Lincoln Riley put together a game plan that really gets after this Texas defense and can Spencer Rattler put together that kind of performance on Saturday morning? That is definitely going to be the big question as to whether or not they are able to you know, if Spencer Rattler's able to look like how we're accustomed, you mentioned a second ago, you know, being accustomed to seeing the Chiefs and the Seahawks and some of these other teams in the NFL right now, just like running out to huge leads and that we've been used to seeing Oklahoma do that. And on offense, just something doesn't seem like it's clicking. Something is not right at this point. Something is not happening. There. I don't know if it's the offensive line or what, but I, on the other side, you know, I think you have to be encouraged if you're a Texas fan because, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, He's got he's got him going a little bit. You know, I know Arkansas wasn't right, but they made the quarterback change and they did just enough to win at TCU. I, I think Texas has to be feeling pretty good going into this matchup. You've got the Big 12's leading wrestler in Bajan Robinson. Can he continue to put pressure on that Oklahoma defensive line and really be that calming force for that Texas offense to give Casey Thompson an opportunity to make some plays down the field by striking balance with the pass and the run game? Bajan Robinson is going to have to have a big day for this Texas office to really be successful against this Oklahoma football team on Saturday morning. More on the Red River Showdown here in just a minute. But, Chris, you know, you were talking a little bit earlier before the show started about Texas A&M, and um, they've got a huge matchup. 
big underdogs taking on Alabama, and you have some concerns. I mean, this was an Aggies team that was ranked in the top ten when the season started, and now they're staring down the barrel of an 0-3 SEC start after a couple bad losses. The Mississippi State game, Mike Leach has owned Texas A&M in his career. He's now 8-4 and against them. And without Haynes King, this quarterback who was injured early in the season, Zach Calzada has not looked quite up to par. Jimbo Fisher in the summer made it sound like this was a quarterback competition that was close. It must not have been that close. Yeah. Calzada was a highly rated recruit, but it's not clicking so far. So Texas A&M, we fully expect to go to 0-3 in the SEC. And, I mean, the season after that, big bowl games just not on the horizon for the Aggies. No, no. I mean, it, it's it's got to be concerning if you're A&M, too, because of the season they just had last year. Jimbo Fisher is supposed to bring them to national title contention. They got close to being in the playoff last season. But clearly, you know, Kellen Mond meant a lot to that team. With the way that you know they're playing right now at the quarterback yeah. position, interested to see that. Uh, TCU, a one-and-a-half-point favorite at Texas Tech. Gary Patterson's group reeling a little bit right now. I, I mean, are, is this season – are we waving the white flag here? Or what do we think here about TCU and, and the Horned Frogs this season? If TCU can't go to Lubbock and get a win this Saturday, I think it might be time to wave the white flag for this season. Three straight losses that would be for TCU after losing to SMU and Texas – it would be an emotionally devastating loss if they were to go to Lubbock and also lose to Texas Tech. Chris, I can't disagree. TCU Homer, I mean, are you, are you ready to move on here? Not going to happen this season? I would like to see them get to bowl eligible. I think a win at Texas Tech is one of the ones you have to get mm-hmm. if you're going to reach that plateau. Texas Tech, uh, you know, they're still with their backup quarterback. Tyler Slaw has been out for a while. Uh, so, you know, for TCU, it's time to feed Zach Evans and. See what happens. Lubbock can be a tough place to go play sometimes. The crowd there, student section, loud, aggressive. So Lubbock's not an easy place to go get a win. You mentioned Zach Evans, and I need to mention him right now because that dude is awesome. He's really good. I'm telling you, if you haven't seen TCU sophomore running back, Zach Evans, future NFL star. Okay, he was the number one recruit in the nation out of the Houston area. And his whole backstory of how he got to TCU is just bizarre. I mean... He was committed to one place and then another place, and then he was going to be commit, and, and then on National Signing Day just didn't show up to announce where he, he was going to go to Georgia, I think. And then I think that's time, right. And then I think LSU or Alabama was in the mix. The point is, when it was all said and done, all of a sudden there was just this quiet little report that Zach Evans has enrolled at TCU. And it was like, what is going on? You know, like, <laughs> it was just a, he, he didn't play in the state championship game, number one, I believe at the time, Galena Park North Shore, where we went to high school, was number one in the nation, and Duncanville was number two in the nation. So it was number one versus number two in the country, facing off an AT&T Stadium for the state title. And before the game, there was some complicated issue with he wouldn't stop like posting messages on social media from the field, so his coach didn't let him play and like wow. made him stay in the locker room during the game. I say all of that to say... Who among us has not done dumb things at 18 years old as a senior in high school? And the kid clearly has his life back on track from a football perspective because he looks awesome. Gary Patterson, we know Gary would not allow him to play in games if he was not doing the things necessary at TCU. And so he's clearly doing what he needs to do to be back on the field. And you just hear other teams. Like I remember Sonny Dykes, SMU's coach, talking about their game against TCU. And then he like kind of paused 
and specifically talked about Zach Evans for like a minute about how special and how hard it is to tackle him. And so, yeah, I'm excited to watch him play against Texas Tech. A few other games of note this weekend, West Virginia at Baylor. Baylor coming off its first loss of the season. Still, you know, I mean, Baylor favored by three points in that game. You know, anyway, still have a chance to have a pretty nice year, especially with nobody in the Big 12 looks awesome. Nobody looks fantastic. You know, I mean, Baylor's already beaten Iowa State. Oklahoma looks vulnerable. Texas got, you know, destroyed by Arkansas already. They're looking better, but I don't think anybody would say that Texas is clearly this dominant team right now. I think the door's still a little bit open right now for Baylor right now. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I think this will be a tough test. I think Iowa State was probably a little overrated coming into the season after losses to Iowa and then against Baylor. So I don't know if Baylor's winless mark before that Oklahoma State game was maybe what we thought it was. I'm interested to see how Texas looks against Oklahoma because I think the Longhorns in this conference are trending in the right direction, and the Sooners might be going the opposite way. You have a Big 12 pick right now. If I put you on the spot, KG, somebody who you think, are you still picking Oklahoma like you were before the season? I I assume you pick Oklahoma. Just about everybody did. Yeah, I I guess I'm going to go with Oklahoma for now to see if they can get that signature win against Texas. If they can, I think they find themselves in the driver's seat for the rest of the season. But obviously that's going to be determined on whether or not they can get a win in the Cotton Bowl on Saturday. Yeah, that's going to be a big game. I can't wait for 11 a.m. Saturday morning in the Cotton Bowl. We'll have complete coverage of that on NBC5 at 6 and 10 p.m. with interviews from both coaches, Lincoln Riley, Steve Sarkeesian, everybody involved there. Um, Going to be an awesome day. And it's going to be cool to see the Cotton Bowl full again. We were talking about this the other day. I think that might be the first time that the Cotton Bowl is filled since before the pandemic became mm-hmm. a, a real thing here in the United States of America. So to see half the, you know, half the stadium in, in the burnt orange for Texas, the other half in, in Oklahoma's gear, and all, I mean, it's just, it's just such an awesome venue. It's such a cool place to watch a game, and it's going to be really fun to see them uh, battling it out once again in a huge matchup because if Texas can win, all of a sudden they become a little bit more real. I mean, that, that feels like Steve Sarkeesian then is like, okay, you know, I think he's going to be great there at Texas. I loved what he did at Alabama. I thought he was a good coach at USC. You know, he had the off-the-field stuff. Um, he has a chance to do a great job there with the Longhorns program. Let's transition now to a great night tonight of high school football coming up in North Texas. And we're going to begin with our big game Friday game of the week, Arlington Martin taking on Arlington Lamar. This is an interesting matchup from this perspective. Um Arlington Martin is awesome, all right? They are almost every year very good under head coach Bob Wager. This year, they have a running back slash cornerback who's a junior named Javian Toviano, okay? His older brother, Juma Toviano, was an awesome player at quarterback for them a few years ago. But Javian's a junior. He's one of the top recruits in the entire country for the class of 2023, okay? He is dominating running the football on offense. He's a shutdown corner with the long arms that you love to see for cornerbacks. He's a great player. Martin's good. They are a huge favorite in this game. But on the other side, Arlington Lamar, I'm not sure. So they're 1-4, but I'm not sure if they're as bad as their record shows because their their schedule has been absolutely brutal. And Martin's going to add right to that. Head coach Billy Skinner is in his first season as the head coach there at Arlington Lamar. He played at Arlington Lamar back in the day. 
Man, that's got to be cool, right? To go back to your to your alma mater and be the head football coach. I mean, that's got to be an experience like none other to be a guy like that and coming back for Coach Skinner there. No, it definitely has to be special for Coach Skinner there because it allows him to really speak to the experience of being there at Arlington Lamar and really speaking to these kids about the what it means to play in this rivalry but also to be a part of it now on the other side yeah. as a head coach, how Lamar deals with uh, Martin Sid Moore, or Sid Ford, excuse me, who apparently is a fantastic kick returner too right. as a quarterback. So yeah. it's going to be an interesting matchup there. Yeah, that's standard quarterback-kick returner combo. Exactly. We're used to seeing that over and over again. Uh, we had a chance to speak with both coaches, Bob Wager and Billy Skinner, about this rivalry and the opportunity for their kids to get to face off. It's just cool with these Arlington schools going head-to-head every almost every single Friday night during district play. Here is what Coach Wager Coach Skinner had to say about it. Well, it's awesome. You know, it's a it's a very unique situation. You got five schools in Arlington, all in the six A division. Seguin, of course, is the five A school. Uh, our proximity, we border all of them, and so our kids grow up together. They they've known each other since Pee Wee to to junior high. Um, and now when you play on Friday nights, it's what every kid dreams about, and, and we'd like to stay at the top. Just excited to play a team of that caliber, always well coached, always we know it's going to be a tough game. They're going to come in ready to street fight, and you know we want to street fight too. So very, very excited about it. Should be a great night, and again, we'll be there for NBC5's Big Game Friday coverage tonight on NBC5 at 4, 5, 6, and 10 p.m. And then after the show at 10 p.m., I always join Corbett Smith from the Dallas Morning News on their Sports Day HS Facebook page. It usually kicks off at 10.40-ish p.m. on Friday nights, recapping the night in the high school football. We spend about a half an hour uh, answering questions and also talking about just big moments in the games that happened around another huge game that's going to be very interesting, very close, and was a finalist for one of our Big Game Friday games of the week this week is Coppell taking on Flower Mound Marcus. Coppell has two losses this year. Um, both of them pretty close, one to Plano, Prestonwood, Christian, more on them in a second, and Highland Park, whereas Flower Mount Marcus has two, classes, uh, two close losses as well to Jesuit, and then they lost by a field goal in the Mound Showdown. Um, Coach Kevin Atkinson there at Flower Mount Marcus does an awesome job. They are good just about every single year, and they have this quarterback, Cole Welliver. He's a sophomore. They, they, they have two quarterbacks that switch back and forth, but Welliver's the future. One, one's a senior, Welliver's the sophomore. He's a six foot six sophomore, man. And when I walked up next to him, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you see, you know, guys six six, and you stand next to you, are like, dude, you're six three. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Come on, man. You know, like Cole Welliver is six six. You know, and, and he is all of that. I'm excited about Coppell taking on Flower Mount Marcus. Should be a great game there at Marcus tonight. Flower Mount Marcus, the number one passing team in six A in the area. It's going to be a lot of offense for Flower Mount Marcus. They should be able to put up a lot of points and compel. Yeah, two good quarterbacks, and that's mm-hmm. what happens when you have – they always say if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Well, at Flower Mount Marcus, they have two quarterbacks because they have two quarterbacks. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. It actually is working out for them this season. Uh, the last high school game I want to get into right now is, I mentioned Prestonwood Christian. Plano Prestonwood Christian is hosting Dallas Parish Episcopal. We saw Parish Episcopal on Big Game Friday a couple of weeks ago when they rocked Argyle Liberty Christian, Jason Witten's team, and I was like, walking around like this team is not going to lose it the the, defending back-to-back state champions parish episcopal and i'm thinking this group man they're going to roll everybody and then everybody started kind of getting in my mentions you know when i I tweeted something along the lines of like i think parish is going to win a third straight state title and they were like have you seen prestonwood have you seen the fact that they beat cop hell have you seen that their only loss is against a garland owls team that is like the underdog up-and-coming story in high school football this year apparently prestonwood christian is really good and um, Dave Campbell's Texas football actually has Prestonwood favored in this game by two points. 
So I saw what Parrish looked like. And so if they're that good, I'm thinking, man, <laughs> you know, um, clearly Prestonwood must be pretty good, you know, if that's the case. So a big, big private school game. We try to give the private schools some love, and I'm excited about seeing what happens in that game. Arguably the two top private schools in the area, Parrish is Sawyer Anderson, second in passing yards. Preston Woods, McGuire Martin, 14 touchdowns. Could be a lot of offense in this football game, it sounds like. That's always the big thing in the conversation about, you know, the private school, public school deal. And, and I know Preston would beat Coppell, so that's saying something, right? Obviously, they're, they're pretty good if they beat Coppell. And sometimes the rankings, you know, from a national standpoint, it's like, oh, they, a lot of the private schools don't have the depth that the public schools do. But the talent at the top, the top-tier players on the rosters – are awesome. I mean, you will see four and five star guys. One of my favorites last year and the year before was Preston Stone, who's now at SMU. He's not the quarterback right now. Tanner Mordecai's playing great, but Preston will be the quarterback at some point at SMU. He's going to be awesome. He was at Parish Episcopal, and he was fantastic there and led them to back to back state championships. Again, for more high school football coverage, check out Big Game Friday tonight on NBC5 at 4, 5, 6, 10 p.m. And then every Saturday, we have our Inside High School Sports Show. It's 30 minutes of high school sports coverage at 6.30 p.m. on NBC5. I host that show here in studio. If you like high school football, I think you will love that show. Hey, I love talking sports betting as well. Not from a personal standpoint, just being very frank with you. I don't bet. You know, I just am not. Not I mean, by the way you've been handling us in the uh, the, the game picks I, Maybe so far. I should, based on the way that that's going. Our pickoff, you know, with the I, I'm comfortably now in first place in our NFL. <laughs> in our NFL pick on every blind squirrel finds a nut. Um, but I look at it and I just say, hey, man, I, I, like, I like hanging on to my money. But at the same time, the reason I love talking about it is because the guys in Vegas – are good at what they do, um, and they know what they're talking about, and they have skin in the game, right? So, I mean, they're not biased. They're not going to say, oh, I think the Cowboys are going to win on Sunday just because they're a Cowboys fan. It's like, no, they have real reasons to talk about what they're talking about. So every once in a while we talk about a couple of our favorite bets in the weekend ahead for the football weekend. KG, I'll let you go first. What are three of your favorite bets that you have for this football weekend ahead? Well, if you're going to have the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, if the Super Bowl were to end today, I guess I'll jump on the train uh, as one of my three favorite bets of the week. The Dallas Cowboys are 4-0 against the spread this season, uh, and they're a seven-point favorite against the New York football Giants this weekend. So that's bet number one for me. Uh, I'm going to go to college football. I'm going to steal Chris Blake's under a little, uh, little bit uh, going college football. The Nebraska Cornhuskers get a visit from Michigan with the Wolverines this weekend. They are The Wolverines are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The Huskers are 5-1 and one against the spread this year Ooh, so uh go big red yeah i think uh michigan should cover but at the same time you know the huskers are five and one against the spread hang on real quick gotta jump in on you real quick did you know nbc5 chief meteorologist rick mitchell oh, yeah played football at nebraska for oh wow okay i mean so he's he'll always tell you he was like in charge of handing out towels and gatorade you know on the practice <laughs> squad but i don't care man he was part of the, you know, the big big red machine there in Nebraska. Anyway, go ahead. I jumped in on you. I just thought. Oh, no, Rick that's Mitchell's a great the note. Man, and uh, <laughs> he loves Nebraska football, so he'll be fired up if you're right about that. Your third bet. My last one, the Panthers host the Eagles this weekend. The Panthers are 3-1 and one against the spread this year and are a three-point favorite against the Eagles are the Panthers on Sunday. So you like Carolina in that matchup. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We might hear about that again. Go ahead. What's up, Chris? What you got? I got a couple NFL games where it's basically home teams just got to win. I think – I know the Steelers have struggled, but they've yeah. only got to win by a point and a half against a not against the Denver team I am very not sold on oh. in Pittsburgh. The Broncos just got stomped by the Ravens 23-7 to after that 3-0 and start. So Pittsburgh, 
point and a half at home over Denver, and I'm picking the Sunday night football game. Chiefs, two-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bills at home. I think Kansas City finds a way to win by a field goal. And I'm also going back to the college game for one. This might... I'm not 100% confident in this, but I am very curious about it. Georgia, 14.5-point favorites at home against number 18 Auburn. Or, excuse me, at Auburn. Hmm. It's a road game in the SEC, but the way Georgia looked against a highly ranked Arkansas team last week, I'm not sure that anybody aside from Alabama can slow them down. Yeah. I think or score on them. I was going to say. I mean, Georgia looks... Their defense is absurd. Absolutely awesome in so many different ways. And next year, um, very interested to see. So Arch Manning, you know, the number one quarterback recruit, Peyton and Eli's mm-hmm. namesake there, he's choosing between Texas and Georgia right now. And he likes Texas a lot. He likes Sarkeesian a lot. But the idea that he could be the starting quarterback as a true freshman next year at Georgia, because Georgia's quarterbacks, the starter, JT Daniels, the backup, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, they're both seniors and they're leaving. So there's going to be an opportunity to win a starting job there at Georgia. <laughs> that would be pretty Imagine appealing. Imagine Arch Manning in Texas. Oh, man. <laughs> for Sarkeesian, you know. Yeah. Like. Have a chance to repeat what Trevor Lawrence did, go win a national title as a freshman at Georgia, though. That's, That's what I'm saying. I mean, that the Manning legacy loaded, in, in that smart, conference. Mm-hmm. That defense every year. I mean, they could keep the SEC tradition alive in that – Anyway, that's interesting. To well, watch. Texas would be keeping the SEC tradition alive. Hey, I forgot about <laughs> Hey, that. there you go. Great point, Chris. <laughs> point. All right, my three favorite bets of the weekend. First and foremost, uh, Stanford is a 13-point underdog at Arizona State. And I know Arizona State is good, okay? But Stanford, before the season, they were picked to win two games in Vegas, and they've already reached that number, okay? They beat USC badly, all right? They look much better than expected I think Arizona State wins that game in the desert, but 13 is too much. I think Stanford keeps it close because, man, David Shaw. I mean, what a coach. What a and guy. the same Stanford team that just beat Oregon, too. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, I mean, I just I think I think Stanford it keeps it close, and they lose, but maybe they lose by about a field goal. Another one, BYU um, is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at, or against, at home against Boise State. Boise's good. You know, and they, they've lost some close games. They lost to Oklahoma State, I know. and, and so, But they're like, I think they're two and three, you know, and BYU's good. I don't I don't know if people realize, BYU's ranked 10th they're in the really nation. Good. You know, I mean, they're, they're number 10 in the nation at home. Two and a half points. I think BYU wins that game by, by a touchdown at least. And then you mentioned Panthers-Eagles. That's one of mine as well. Mm, Carolina, right. three-point favorite um, at home against Philadelphia. I think the Eagles are bad. I, I don't think Carolina is bad. I think the Cowboys beat a good team well last week because the Cowboys are Super Bowl contenders. And so that's the reason that Carolina looked so bad last week. So I'm not I'm not jumping off ship yet. I think Carolina still has a chance to have a nice season. Phil Snow doing a good job with that defense. Sam Darnold, Joe Brady calling plays. So Carolina wins by a little bit more than three points. In fact, I think they're going to win by more like seven or eight points. I would take I would take them, I think, at minus seven in that game. So seeing minus three feel pretty good about Carolina winning that game big. All right, best thing we saw this weekend. Let's go with you first, KG. The best thing that you saw overall could be sports or non-sports related. Hit me. I'm going to go to NASCAR. Bubba Wallace becoming the second African-American driver to win a NASCAR Cup race at Talladega, a car owned by Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan. So congratulations to Bubba Wallace getting his first NASCAR Cup win out in Talladega this weekend. Yeah, very cool. I'm going to the other football, FC Dallas' own Ricardo Pepe, Pepe! single-handedly dragging 
the U.S. <laughs> men's national team through World Cup qualifying. Two goals last night against Jamaica. He also got them jump-started last round against Honduras. If you haven't watched him play yet, the U.S. plays Sunday against Panama. Pepe is the real deal. He's Young really guy, good. homegrown here, El Paso. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a great player. It's cool to see him succeeding at such a young age already for the U.S. men's national team. My favorite thing that I saw this week happened in the Thursday night football game last night between the Seahawks and the Rams. Um, it's not often that I learn something about football, and I'm like, I didn't know that. Okay, Michael Dixon, the Seahawks punter, had a punt blocked, picked it back up, and kicked it again. And all the announcers are la- Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are laughing like, you can't do Mike Pereira comes on, the official's expert, and he's like, Oh, no, you can't kick the football twice. And then there's some conversation on the field, and then the referee announces, hey, he kicked the ball twice, and so it spots wherever the ball was dead you know, at the end of the punt. Because apparently you can punt the football twice as long as you're <laughs> Did you guys know that? No. I had no idea. I had no idea. This dude had the greatest punt in NFL history, if you ask me, because he gets his punt blocked. And, of course, most of the time, if a punter has a punt blocked in that moment, it's chicken with your head cut off running around like a crazy person, like just trying not to get destroyed. These punters are guys like you and me. They're like normal (laughs) And these NFL, like, defensive tackles are like chance to go and tackle small man. You know, let's go. And this guy had the composure to pick up the ball and kick it again. Now, he crossed the line. That's a separate thing. He wasn't supposed to do that. He was across the line of scrimmage. Technically, that made it illegal. The referees didn't catch that. But apparently, if you have your punt blocked, you can pick it up and punt it again. Wow. Which, to me, was the coolest thing I saw. Oh, so you didn't know that either. I'm no, I had no this. idea that you could do that. I mean, well, good a, for him. Hey, look, I mean, that's to me, was just one of those, like, I think I think you look at it and you say, hey, you got to have give credit to a guy who is learning or who is teaching me something about the game of football I did not know about. You know what I mean? And if, and if you do something like that in a moment like that, it would have been so easy to give the ball up to the Rams then in their territory. I mean, that's what would have happened if they got tackled in that moment there. So should be a great weekend ahead. Quickly, Giants-Cowboys, seven under, seven-point favorites. You're taking the Cowboys, minus seven. Cowboys 28, Giants 20. I'll take the Cowboys, too. I just don't see I don't how. have a score, but they win by a touchdown. Yeah, I think I'm taking I'm taking Dallas, and I think they're going to win by 10 to, to 4. might even be more than that. I just love what I've seen from this Cowboys team, as you heard earlier, right? <laughs> They're going to the Super Bowl. The headline Super Bowl reads. <laughs> contenders, and the headline is absolutely going to say it if Chris Blake knows what he's doing, and he does. It's going to be awesome. Hey, thank you all for hanging with us here on Big Game Friday morning. For Kevin Gray, Chris Blake, I'm Pat Doney. Enjoy the football weekend. We'll be back next Friday at 9 a.m. here on NBCDFW.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Talk to you then.